The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Alright, we are back. It's the Sour Hour. It's that time, I should say that. Every show. <laughs> it's that time. Uh, Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, in the Brewing Network studios in lovely downtown Concord, here with Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, what's up? Aaron from Allagash Brewing Company. Hello again. Glad we could be here to uh, participate today. It's been a lot of fun, and we also still got Jason on the line. Jason, you still there? I'm still here. Excellent. Thank you all for uh, being a part of the show today. Do a couple of quick notes at the top. Leave us some feedback if you have any. Email us some questions. Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. Jay at thebrewingnetwork. Not work? Not work? It does sound seem like it's not work. But. <laughs> the brewing not work. The brewing yeah. network. And as long as we're on the topic of feedback, Jason, do you have any feedback for us? Um, I don't think so. Okay, perfect. Moving along. Jason's <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what are you getting at? <laughs> sure, I could say a lot here, but... Uh, uh, yeah, listen live on the Brewing Network app. Search BN Mobile on all those things. Subscribe and leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. But yeah, let's get, let's get a little more into uh, all this great Allagash beer we have. Um, and one thing, you know, that came up on the last, uh, show, Jason, was just how much new stuff you guys are up to. How, if you had to guess, how many new, uh, or how many total brands in a year do you think Allagash comes out with? And let's go with, uh, packaged brands. So things that are, uh, beyond draft. Um, yeah. So beyond draft, I mean, I would say we're talking, uh, I don't know, 30. Maybe more than that. Yeah, somewhere around 30 or 40. And that's, so that's, it's split between, at this point, 12 ounce bottles, 750 mil bottles, 375 mil bottles, cans. And at this point, just 16 ounce cans. So, uh, a spread across all those. And we're doing a bunch of stuff just here at the brewery. That's why I kind of hesitate to figure out exactly where that sits, but, mm. you know, we'll do, Oh, probably 15 plus, if not closer to 20 beers that we just sell here only, uh, in one of those formats. Cause they're small enough scale. We got enough visitors here that, uh, you know, we can go through, you know, third 20 to 30 barrels of beer just selling it out of our store. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. I want that. <laughs> <laughs> and again, don't forget 60,000 barrels of some base something or other. <laughs> yes, some base something. <laughs> one of the great beers of all time. Oh, no yeah. kidding. I, I still maintain that that is the number one, I don't know, you tell me a better bridge beer for the non-craft fan, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. to uh, introduce them to the craft side of things. Tell me a better beer than Allagash White. Allagash, is there one? Allagash Saison? Okay, there you go. That's a good one, too. <laughs> But so how many, so, okay, so about 30, 30 brands, uh, beyond draft here. How, what's the spread between, um, kind of the core clean beer and then maybe some of these, uh, sour and wild programs? I would say it's, uh, by, just by brand number, it's probably 60 to 70% clean beers, something like that. Uh, but in volume, it's way more skewed. Uh, obviously it's like, yeah, probably clean beers are 90, five percent of our volume you know a lot of these um you know wild and sour beer stuff is is small scale uh but you know a super important part of kind of how we view ourselves and internally externally uh you know it's it's a despite it being a small volume uh relation to the rest of it it's still like a huge part of what we do and dedicate a fair bit of time and energy and space towards it gotcha yeah and so we've got one of these uh sour and wild specialty brands here in front of us it's the cool ship red ale aged in oak barrels with raspberries i think that's an undersell 
on the uh, the beer description at the front. But uh, tell us a little bit about maybe just let's start at the beginning for those who don't know a little bit about your cool ship program and then maybe some some about this beer. Sure. Yeah, um, we started in two thousand seven um, with our like what at that point we were calling our kind of our cool ship project because uh, it was very much just an experiment to kind of see uh, if we could produce spontaneous fermentation uh, in a similar manner of the classic lambic. Uh, you know, when, you know, when Rob started Allagash in 95 and really throughout our history, it's always been, you know, we either, either call ourselves Belgian style or Belgian inspired, one or the other, uh, just, you know, very focused on that kind of tradition of brewing. And in some ways in our, uh, had it seemed like, oh, the next logical thing would be, you know, we've been, we had at the time in 2007, we'd dabbled around with, you know, with a handful of various sour and wild beer projects, you know, worked with Pretendomyces a fair bit and, so on but uh you know it seemed like wouldn't it be fun to see uh if we could you know have some spontaneous fermentation in that same manner and you know it's it's easy to forget now with all the you know breweries who are doing fantastic cool ship beers these days in 2007 it was you know it was pretty much for the most part um he really uh, reserves the use of cool ship and making spontaneous beers was really uh around uh, greater brussels and belgium and, you know, the conventional wisdom at the time and, and even in some the limited writings that you could find on on that production back then, it was kind of the, the idea was you can really only make these beers. There's some kind of magical thing that's happening around Brussels, Belgium, the Seine River, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, from some conversations we had with some of the Lambic brewers, uh, it wasn't necessarily that wasn't necessarily their opinion, but uh, that was somewhat the conventional wisdom around there. So. That's kind of why it started as a project was um, let's let's kind of see if we can uh, really mimic the same process. So we started the process with 40% on malted wheat grain, uh, 60% Pilsner, aged tops, turbid mash, long boil, like all the things that are classic to that style, and, and just went for it. Built a cool ship room, uh, which is basically a shed, effectively. Uh, put in a cool ship that we had fabricated for us from a local fabricator and went for it in November of 2007 and, and brewed our first batch. Uh, and then waited. You know, we, we brewed a couple batches that fall, then a couple more that spring, and then again the next year. And it really wasn't, uh, I would say, two years in before we had any kind of sense. Because, you know, we didn't know what, what should these beers be tasting like early. And you, know, you hear maybe what they should taste like. We don't really know for sure. So yeah, it was probably two, even three years in before we had a sense that this was actually working, <laughs> if you will. Uh, I think the first beer we sold was in, uh, not till 2011 it was when we actually sold uh, uh, some form of that beer. Uh, we poured it at a few events earlier than that, but the first time we sold any couple ship beer was for that. So, so really it's, um, we don't call it Lambic, but it's very much modeled after that tradition, including the beer you guys have in front of you there, which is, we could, we just simply call Cool Ship Red, uh, and it's kind of our version of, of a creek, uh, uh, sorry, of a frambois. Uh, so it's, you know, uh, two, roughly two year old, uh, spontaneously fermented beer that's been in oak barrels the entire time through fermentation and aging. Um, you know, in, in a pretty good shape at that point, fairly sour, nice, nice balanced character to it. And then we throw it on some local fruit for just enough to have a refermentation absorb that flavor, which is for something like raspberries is maybe three months. Uh, and then that happens in stainless. Uh, and then, and then package it. I, I, w- I want to dive into this beer further, but just quickly, uh, like when you started it all in 2007, going into it, what was the big seller? Was it, was it white at that time? Yes. Yeah. White's kind of held up. 70 to 80 percent of our production um and i mean at one point in the early first handful of first years it was nearly 100 percent um because it was really kind of our only beer but yeah it's kind of maintained that 70 to 80 percent of our our production for you know 20 years and is that is i'm guessing that thing made it like i don't know maybe it wasn't a hard sell anyway but that made it an easier sell that you had this you had this staple to fall back on is that is that fair to say that's absolutely fair to say, for sure. Uh, I mean, I will say that in 2007, we had just built our first big expansion. Um, so, you know, we were, I wouldn't say we were in a, 
uh, super comfortable financial position at the time. But, you know, it really is so many cases of this, but having one single owner of Allagash and having that owner be Rob allows us to do these kind of things. Like he literally um, came in one day and said, fuck it, let's put in a cool ship. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the way it went down. I mean, we had some casual conversations about it, and I never thought we would do it, to be honest with you, because um, I didn't really think we could just stick a bucket of word out in the parking lot and see what happens. And we really felt like we had to build a room to have that environment. And, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an expense and, uh, to do that and, and so on. And we had just done this expansion. So, but having someone with, you know, Rob's passion for innovation and, et cetera, like, it, it, and having it be just him, like he doesn't have any, any other investors to answer to, uh, and is super fired up about that stuff. And I just said, let's do it. And, it, you know, I just say that because, it, yes, it is awesome to have Allagash White at the time and, and now, but it's still, there was, there was still, uh, it was still rolling the dice for sure. I just, I just want to paint some context. I mean, Rob often walks in, uh, screw it, let's put in a wrestling ring. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he just says things. So it's cool that the cool ship part actually panned out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this beer is so good. Yeah, this is excellent. I, I want to walk through a little bit of um, kind of the, the spontaneous Cool Ship program. You know, you mentioned uh, a lot about your recipe, a few follow-ups on that. You know, some things that I guess distinguish some people's Cool Ship beers from others are, um, you know, what the pound per barrel of their aged hops are and also uh, you know, I think the length of the boil can vary a little bit from brewery to brewery. So what do you what do you do for those two? Yeah, so we're we're uh, about. I think at this point we're down around point um, eight ish pounds per barrel for our age tops. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were at a pound at one point in time, and we've slowly brought that back a little bit. Uh, as for boil time, we actually about maybe two years ago moved to uh, uh, a minimum boil time of three hours, but beyond that, it's to volume. So, and basically the reason for that is we were finding, uh, you know, because just when you boil for, at one point we were boiling for four hours way back when, and then, you know, three and a half hours for a little bit. But you find that over that long a period of time, given the barometric pressure or whatever it may be on a given day, the amount of evaporation is dramatically different when you are going that long. Um, so we really found the best way for consistency of original extract. Uh, for the beer, um, and we feel like also the amount of time we need to drive off the volatiles of the stink tops and so on. So we now go with um, a set time, uh, sorry, set volume. So we start at the same volume always and then boil for a minimum of three hours, and then sometimes it's three hours and five minutes, sometimes it's three hours and 20 minutes, but we boil to a certain uh, kettle volume. And for comparison, the Belgians consider what to be a long boil? Is it the same thing? Yeah, I think it really depends a lot on the on the on the location, but yeah, three to four hours, something like that. You know, a lot of you know, you, there's probably a variety of reasons why. I mean, we we tend to do it partially for historical reasons and partially um, because we do. You know, you age hops for that long, it does develop some some pretty funky flavors, and you know, it's nice to boil off some of those any of those really intense volatiles. But I think in, in the historical context, a lot of those breweries probably did it because their boiling systems were so poor that, you know, for them to get what they needed to happen, they, they've extended their boils to, to achieve the same results that could be done with a more modern boil. Yeah, I imagine, um, you know, even beyond the original extract consistency, you know, yield has got to be a consideration. And then maybe on a, on a more minor uh, range, you know, if you're knocking out different volumes of ward i imagine that might affect the cooling rate a little bit as well for sure yeah we try to we always aim to that, that's a very good point that the, the finished volume we boil to is based on the maximum capacity of the cool ship uh which we've slowly increased originally we were we had a little bit more i guess headspace if you will um but really wanted to just maximize the the vessel so uh we now uh if we do it right when we stop transfer from it is like completely brimful, and then of course evaporation makes it drop down a significant amount overnight, but starts like almost overflowing. And then what are the what are the types of hops that you age, and what's the what's like the, an average age of those? 
So we are now, uh, for now, uh, for the last three or four years, we've been uh, pretty much exclusively with Hallertau middle fruit um, that we age ourselves. Over the years, we've used Hallertau, Tetanang, and Spalt uh, are the three varieties, but we've just kind of settled on kind of a good rhythm of, of buying uh, a couple bales of hops uh, at a given harvest and aging them ourselves here on this whole leaf hops. Uh, and they're uh, three plus years. I think we've used them as old as five years before, but typically between three and four years is what we're targeting. Gotcha. And let's say you know over the you know since since oh seven, what what's the what's the longest you will see a lag in fermentation kicking off in uh, you know after the after the brew day that you're comfortable saying like hey, this could still turn out well. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's maybe it's sure. maybe it's always the next day for you or maybe it takes a, a week or even two or more. Yeah, I mean, in the early days uh, of the project, we actually had a couple batches that um, took over, you know, eight or nine days before you see any real visible fermentation. And honestly, it made me pretty nervous. I don't really like it to take that long. Uh, and we found over the years, you know, I'm a big believer in the room itself playing a, a role in the process in terms of, a, a, you know, it's not really done by what's in the air on a given day. I think it's really the microflora that builds up in that space. And I have heard anecdotally from some Lambic brewers that as a season progresses in a given year, each subsequent batch can sometimes get faster and faster. And that kind of lends some support to that idea that the room really has has microflora and maybe even builds up over time. So we've seen that ourselves. Like over the years, uh, fermentations tend to happen faster. We're, we're probably 48 hours ish in is when we start to see kind of a vigorous fermentation, but there is, there is going to be variability depending on the outdoor temperature. We try to keep within a pretty tight window, but inevitably if it's a slightly colder night, we will see a slightly slower kickoff of fermentation. But yeah, usually within two, maybe max three days, we're, we're rolling uh, pretty messy fermentation. Gotcha. And I think, you know, you're one of the foremost experts on tasting these beers along the way in the United States. What, what have been some of your experiences tasting these, you know, before they end up tasting like this kind of, you know, magical blended lambic style or goose style? What, what are the flavors you don't want to see and want to see, you know, let's say under a year old? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I think um, under a year old, there, there's, a, there's a period of time in the first, uh, I don't know, six months that I, I, I just learned I don't even bother. I, don't, I literally don't even, don't, don't taste a single barrel unless someone's by the brewery and is curious, wants to know what it tastes like. It's, it's, it's not all that pleasant at that stage in the game in our experience but roughly around eight or nine ten and twelve months we start to start to have kind of an interesting beer and honestly at that stage it 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 tastes it has some similarities to like a german hefeweizen in some ways there's some cloviness to it you know certainly hazy of course uh it's um, most of the primary um sugars are consumed at that point uh so it's it it, at I wouldn't necessarily want a glass of it, a full glass of it at that stage, but it's pretty interesting. Uh, it has a lot of really kind of uh, almost fresh yeast character to it at that stage in the game and very little acidity at about a year. Um, so at that point, at a year, which we do use some one-year stuff for Cool Ship or Sergum, which is kind of our interpretation of a goose. So we'll use some of it at one year for to provide fresh yeast for bottle refermentation and a little bit of residual sugar. But for the, so for the most part, we're just looking for, are there any significant off flavors at that stage in the game? And if there are going to be, then what we would see would be um, solvent character, hydrogen sulfide for sure at that stage, which at one year doesn't worry me all that much. I just won't use it at one year because it's going to be gone within a year, if not earlier, because it's a pretty volatile compound. But that solventy ethyl acetate is certainly not something we ever want to see don't see a lot of that at one year but you might see a little and then at two year is when we start to look out for again hydrogen sulfide but again i'm not too worried about that but uh for sure ethyl acetate that's a killer and acetic acid of course which we 
luckily don't get a ton of, but we do get on occasion. Those are the two, two big ones. And anything with uh, elevated ethyl acetate or elevated acetic, just, we just, we just dump them uh, basically as soon as we get them because we just know that that's not going anywhere. That's not going to change. Something like hydrogen sulfide will change. Even some other kind of subtler, not as intense off flavors will sometimes go away, but uh, those are the big killers, those two. Uh, for some reason, for reasons I don't really know, there are some barrels that have just an intense um, kind of bitter astringency to them, which I can't <laughs> put my finger on. It must be barrel-related, but uh, I haven't found a certain consistency to it, and that I've found in my experience, for whatever reason, doesn't go away either. And it's never a full batch. It's, you know, in that particular off flavor, it's, you know, one or two barrels max from a, from a specific batch. So that's a little bit of a head scratcher. Like the first time I experienced it, I was a little surprised. And then I just almost didn't even have a way to describe it. And then actually I was visiting, uh, Bone in, in Belgium and Frank Bone was sampling, uh, from the fooders for us. And he sampled us on like more like a six month or even three month. It was what I would call super young that I wouldn't even taste here. And it had that. And he said to me, doesn't that smell like a, a German Hefeweizen? And I said, holy shit, like totally. That's that's that flavor that I've been – I just didn't associate that flavor with a spontaneous fermentation, so I was having a hard time connecting those dots until he put it that way. Some interesting things to, you know, perceive along the way. But great that you guys have all these, um, you know, interconnected world of people who have been making these spontaneous beers are you guys going to be doing the uh, the friendship blend again anytime soon? We are, yes, we are. Um, we're we're pretty psyched. Uh, I believe that was a. I don't know if it was officially announced, so I'm not getting in trouble here. But uh, you already said yes, so there it is. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we we are going to do it again um, for uh, release next next year at the quintessence or quintessence that the canton does every every two years on may 1st they do this celebration and that's what this the original friendship fund was tied to which i think is goes back as far as 2014 now the first time we did did it there um so same kind of deal um uh russian river is going to send canton uh some of their um spontaneous beer we're going to do the same uh canton is going to do a blend there and sell they really only are selling the beer at the event on May 1st next year. And then, um, you know, they're going to fill those same kegs back up with Cantillon Lambic and send it back over here. And we haven't decided whether that blending will take place here like it did uh, last time or out at Russian River. But we'll do another kind of stateside version of, of the same beer. I feel like maybe that was one of the last times I was chatting with you guys on this podcast was when we did the one out in Russian River. For sure. That might have been the last time. Yeah. Well, and speaking of friendships and blending, I mean, sure, you know, Jean and Vinny are cool and everything, Jason, but have you thought about doing any sort of friendship blending with the Rare Barrel? (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing. I love this. Put me on the spot. (laughs) I would absolutely be game for that. Boom. You heard it here. That was very uncomfortable, tape. Scott. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to do your dirty work, Goins. It's, uh, it's like a, a weird perversion of a blind date. When you're like, hey. <laughs> you, my, you'll, you'll love my cousin. You just go out on just, a date. Yeah, he's right there. Yeah, <laughs> totally. His name is Bob. Jason, does that mean you want to come out for Cezanne Day again next year? Yeah. Oh, man, I'd love to. That was fun. Oh, we'd love to have you again. And that was fun uh, when you were out here for that and also for the uh, the podcast last time and i know i know you gotta go so we'll get you out of here on this one i don't know if we asked you this last time you're around but if we did uh it'd be fun to compare your answers but we'll let you go on this what do you think the biggest mistake in sour beer making is oh boy i probably should have been prepared for this one huh um, <laughs> not collaborating with the rare barrel yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I, this is an opinion, of course, and I think there's some great beer being made without it, uh, including in Belgium, but I think temperature control, I'm a big advocate for some degree of temperature control, and I wouldn't even necessarily say, give you a number for what that is, but having some, I mean, there's so many things in sour beer production that you can't control, and you do everything you can to control what you can, but there's 
And, and I, so I think, um, you know, ha- having the ability to have some temperature control, and that may mean changes in temperature. I mean, some people are advocates of that throughout the aging process, but we're big advocates of it here where everything, what the barrel room is temperature controlled. Anything that's not in the barrel room is, uh, it, itself, whether it's a tank or a fooder is temperature controlled in some way. So I don't know if that's a mistake per se, but it's a, an opinion that I have that I think it, it's a good way to in some way control, uh, the beer. It's so funny. In, in in a line of many, many differences between, you know, clean side brewing and not, the the notion that, like, uh, you know, uh, you know on any any of the other shows on this network or in any circles of brewing talk, where you'd be like, yeah, you know, I think uh, temperature control is a thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, in, in the broader category of, um, you know, sour beer, uh, how to make it in theory, you know, the, the Wild West mentality is can be interesting but i mean even just think about uh the things jason has said here today about a style that is called spontaneous but obviously meticulous guidelines are set for it and you control as much as you can because there is so much that is not controlled about the process so you know in other sour beer making i think uh, temperature control is important and just like it isn't spontaneous beer you're waiting for the right time of year and i think that's excellent advice uh for all the brewers out there uh so good job jason uh and thanks for joining us really appreciate it (laughs) absolutely thank you guys yeah hopefully we'll see you out here again soon sounds good cheers jason so i just i wanted to do that first segment long so we could get yeah jason out here on time but let's uh maybe take a quick break and then keep going in a little bit we'll be right back on the sour hour all right big thanks to jason perkins from allagash coming on the show still got aaron on the hook because we've got beers in front of us yeah we do he's in studio so it's a good day it's a typical work day for you i wish i could say it was uh <laughs> it's, it's been a real treat hanging out with you guys today but uh my typical work day is a little bit different than than just sitting in a studio uh talking about sour beer and enjoying these beers with you guys what is your official title are you responsible for all of california west coast bay area yeah um our west coast presence is california um so i oversee sales here in california we've got a team of five people out here up and up and down the coast down in la and san francisco are two two big markets are the the bay area and the la uh, metropolitan area and uh all of our jobs consist of working with our distributors, uh, working with our retailers, educating consumers uh, all about uh, the wonderful offerings that Allagash has, as well as just educating people about beer in general uh, and craft beer in particular and getting them turned on to all the different styles that are out there. And uh, hopefully in the end, they they lean towards towards Allagash and what we have for them. For sure. And I'm, I'm kind of curious just from you know a larger but not crazy larger brewery uh, like Allagash, who's doing a lot of great, interesting sour beers. What is the general perception of sour beer um, for for your accounts? So I'm sure there's some that have never heard of it, and some maybe that's like kind of all they want from you. So how do you how do you juggle that? Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, as Jason alluded to, uh, predominant production and offering. Uh, that we have is, is Allagash White. You know, we do about 80% of our business in Allagash White. Uh, we do about 80% of our business in the on-premise as well. Um, but most of our sour offerings come in 375 milliliter bottles. And they come out, you know, new offerings every two months or so, two, mm-hmm. two to three months. And uh, it's hard to keep everybody happy with all of them. You know, everyone wants a six-toll of it. And if we're only getting... 20 or so for the entire state uh we definitely work very hands-on with the with the accounts uh with our partnerships to make sure that we keep everyone happy and that means you know uh an account might not get every single offering but we're going to make sure that they get a good variety of it and you know newer accounts that open up or newer accounts that have become uh strong uh 
uh, supporters of Allagash that they get thrown a log every once in a while, at least uh, a couple bottle, a couple cases offerings. Um, so it's it's a definitely a, a juggling juggling act to make sure that mm-hmm. we make sure everyone's happy, everyone gets their fair share, uh, and new accounts that either are just opening or new accounts that have just gotten turned on to Allagash also get a fair shot as well. I always imagine myself as like you know joe blogs from busted whistle brewing company and i'm listening to this and i'm like get out of here you know allagash man what do you got to sell you know your your brand is your your allagash you know and i know nothing sells itself really of you know pliny maybe but you know in an age where white is a staple it's a it's a category definer how much selling are you having to do for your brand what exactly would you say you, you do, do here? around here <laughs> It uh, it actually takes quite a, quite a bit to sell Allagash White, and you know, and I say that really? kind of with, with the grain of salt. I feel like it is, you know, like you said, it is a fantastic fantastic beer. It is kind of like a gateway beer into the craft world. I think it's one of its premier represent. Pre- I think it's one of its premier representations of its style. Um, it's great having uh, you know Rob Todd as the founder, Jason Perkins as our brewmaster. The culture at Allagash is fantastic. Uh, the, what we provide to the local community and what we do to further just craft beer in general, uh, I think helps allude to people wanting to to buy Allagash and support Allagash, but not everybody knows what we're doing out there. So I would say one of the most important things that we do as a team out here in California is just educate people on Allagash as a whole and everything that we're doing so that they want to get behind our brand. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's 7,000, 8,000 breweries out there right now, 1,000 plus in California, uh, luckily, not all of them are making whip beers. A lot of them are making IPAs, so we don't really have to compete in uh, in that segment because I'm sure that segment's even even tougher. But um, the whole locality thing is probably our biggest struggle out here in California, being 3,000 miles away from our uh, our mothership brewery. But tying in the stories of what we do locally, you know, what Jason touched on a little bit earlier with the local farmers and everything is is a great story, um, and just getting people enthused about what we're doing. Uh, I think is the best way for us to to sell Allagash. Yeah, for sure. And you know, we're we're honored at the Rear Barrel to be part of uh, the Saison Day, which I think is great, great encapsulation of a lot of things you're talking about. Where you know, it's not it's not really just about Allagash. In fact, it's more about the style, and we're bringing breweries together. And you guys are you know a catalyst for something good that's just happening in craft beer, and that's always a really fun day. I hope we continue to get invited to participate in that because it's. One of my favorite days of the year, for do, sure. Do we want to commit to it right now? I've been meaning to reach out here pretty yes. soon. Should, yes. Should we do it for a is it fourth year now? I think this fourth be, year would be next year. Be four, yeah. So yeah. we now have the fourth year of the of the Saison Day uh, uh, committed to here on the air. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure Jason committed to doing a collaboration with the, with the Rare, Rare Barrel. Barrel. Yeah. He, he announced <laughs> breaking news, he the wild friendship blend also includes the rare barrel and scott wrote me into seeing weird al on friday that's right <laughs> i I'm, I'm making connections and we're, we're taking names and kicking ass here uh, weird al for a weird work day yeah <laughs> we're the we're the weird friendship blend <laughs> it's uh jean and Vinny and jay bad lose bad lose yeah mm-hmm. there you go yeah so kind of maybe just one more question i'm curious about this how many states are you guys in now we're in 16 states. 16. Okay. Now, you know, like we said, the 80% is white. But one thing that I'm thinking about, we're selling in more states now. What's this? What's the sour beer vibe out there overall, do you think? Like for our listeners who are making sour beers and, you know, maybe, hey, you know, for a while this was great for the local market, but now we want to maybe send some beer a little farther away. What's been the Allagash experience with that with so many breweries now doing sour beer. I mean, we, we used to kind of touch on this. We used to be in 30 states and then we dial back down to 16. Um, I think it's the most important thing is having control over your product, um, whether it be knowing where it's going so you can help help grow those relationships and uh, those, those uh, uh, partnerships, but also just QC, knowing how it's being handled, where it's going, how it's being poured, how it's being talked about. Uh, being able to interact with the consumer, who at the end is the one that's going to be hopefully continually buying your product. You know, sour beers—it's they're becoming more and more popular. It seems like a, a lot more drinkers are drinking them, a lot more breweries are making them. I think there's there's room for a lot of them, um, but I'm sure as you guys are doing, you know, you got your sour beers and then you got your 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 hoppy beer next to you. 
uh, it's hard to go out there and drink nine sour beers in a row. Um, so Sounds I think it's, like a challenge to me. No. <laughs> but, challenge uh, accepted. But I think it's I think it's fun reaching out and finding those new accounts that can get turned on to it, and finding those new consumers that can get turned on to it. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people out there who's like, oh, I've no, I don't drink beer, I don't like beer at all, and I think a lot of times they're just turned on to a local IPA or you know even a pale ale that just, they just don't realize that it's not beer that they don't like. They just maybe don't like hops as much. And uh, sour beer is also, I think, a great gateway into beer as well. I still am, even all these years later, reeling over the notion that it is hoppy beer that has become the engine of this craft beer train. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I just remember Sierra Nevada Pale Ale being way too hoppy for anybody to drink in, you know, like the college days, you know, back in like the mid-2000s. I would never have guessed that hoppy was going to be what led this charge. Sure. I think it's it's kind of hard to predict, although hops seem to have solidified their stance. I mean, what, for 20 years now? So, I mean, yeah, approaching it at 15, I mean, but yeah, a long time. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and then there's bitter versus hoppy. So, you know, I think when people thought hoppy for a while it was bitter, and now it's, you know more aromatic and yeah i mean yeah you never know what's going to happen next so but how is it you know having a brewery that doesn't really make a lot of those styles i love it i i don't drink hoppy beers at all i, I don't like the bitterness so i think everyone always says that i work for the perfect brewery uh, <laughs> for having that kind of uh, taste preference and, <laughs> totally and I, i'm very pleased with all the allagash offerings i mean i'm actually i'm drinking tiny house right now which is absolutely fantastic i don't know the ibu on it it's probably like 30 and it's like the threshold that i can tolerate um but yeah so i mean i, I absolutely love working for Allagash for, for their offerings it's and i also feel like you know for the selling wise that you're kind of talking about like there's there's fewer handles available but i think there's less competition for them you know like for whip beers out there there's only a handful of breweries making whip beers there's only a handful of breweries making saisons at a commercial level that are distributing out there uh, a lot of the small local breweries are all just doing new IPA, new double IPA, new hoppy IPA, new session IPA, new hazy IPA. I don't have to worry about that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they end up taking up more of the handles, so there's probably less available, but at least there's less competition for the for the handles we're going after. Yeah, also, if you're going to make Saison once every quarter, as, you know, down the street brewing company, you know, is it going to be better than Allagash Saison? That's kind of a tough... Uh tough needle to throw yeah. yeah so i imagine that helps a little bit too um scott we never paid off the uh the question we were gonna ask oh you're absolutely so right i just want to point out too yeah. I, I immediately googled down the street brewing you know of the you know as we just mentioned there's eight thousand freaking breweries around the corner yeah. are any of them called down the street brewing company there is a down the road beer company in everett washington but there is no down everett, the street washington I guess. I don't okay. know. Where's Everett? There's one in it's Massachusetts. right outside of Seattle. Down the Massachusetts. That's where Night Shift Brewing is in uh, Massachusetts. Everett, uh, Massachusetts. Oh, Everett. Nailed it. You're right, Jay. Geography king. Right you here. are indeed. Uh, but I just want to point out <laughs> that if you are, uh, you know, you don't have a name for your brewery yet, Down the Street Brewing Company is open. Down the street. Down the street, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they're down the street from Night Shift. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're in Everett, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so... Do you have a question loaded up, Scott? Sure. So I'm going to remind our listeners that this question and all questions are brought to you and us by Dr. Lambic and his team at SourBeerBlog.com. Check out the articles on Sour Beer Blog for a great written resource devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend sour beer at home. And now the Sour mm-hmm. Beer Blog crew has opened up a brewery. <laughs> I keep forgetting which and parts now. I need to uh, <laughs> update. Uh, they're open. <laughs> it's a new brewery and taproom in central Pennsylvania, Mechanicsburg, I think. Uh, check them out. Mellow Mink Brewing at mellowmink.com. This is from Brooks Wade. Brooks Wade, uh, the title of, of his um, message here is Hello from BMW 88. If you recall, we read a review from BMW 88 a few weeks ago on the show. He said, I'm the guy who wrote the review uh, for episode 100. That was when Ruben's Brews was in the mm-hmm. studio. He said it was way cool to sort of be part of the 100th episode since I learned so much about caring for these bugs from listening to y'all before I ever had a chance to brew sour for myself. Um, he said, I was dying laughing at the jokes about my username. Ironically enough, I 
I did have a 1988 BMW for a while, but the username is because my initials are BMW, and I was born in 88. Wow. Whoa. And so I would imagine, Brooks, that the reason you got that car is because of that? That just seems too coincidental. And I me- I believe you mentioned, Jay, that your dad at one point drove a, like a 1988 325i. You're like, uh, you're like, that was my dad's car. Pretty, I don't think it was 88, but... Cl- like a, somewhere in the 80s there. Yeah, somewhere also, where you were uh, a kid. Alex, my uh, co-founder at the Rare Barrel, his wife's initials, BMW. Yeah, yeah Brittany. Yeah, yeah, BMW. Still, even still, post... Uh, yeah, she married a W. Mm-hmm. Good job, Brittany. Uh, anyway, so this is uh, Brooks. Uh, he says my brewery is now open. It's about an hour north of Atlanta. It is called it's just down the road. Yeah, just around the corner, <laughs> down the road brewing company. It is in. Uh, it's Cardake River Brewing Company, and uh, he had some beers ready. What's the name of the city? East Elijay, Georgia. And is it the way you said it? Seemed like. Question mark? No, it says, it says, 26 River Terrace, East Elijay, Georgia. Cool. In any case, the question here from oh, Brooks. Let me really read Oh, it. sorry. Here, look. There you go. Right, Boom. Well. What, how does that pronounce to you? Oh, yeah. Real true J. J-A-Y. Hard J. Elijay. Yeah. yeah, definitely. The question from Brooks is, he was like, I want to send, now that I have some production beer ready to go, where do I send it? That's really the question. And I just want to say. The Brewing Network's. Headquarters. Yeah, headquarters. Yeah, yeah. The, the answer to the question, and I'll, obviously I'll, I'll email you, Brooks, but for anybody that's wondering that, whether you're a home brewer or a pro brewer and you want to send in beer or you want to share beer or you're coming to California and you want to bring some beer to Rare Barrel or whatever. It's uh, probably Hop Grenade. It gets lost at the Rare Barrel. <laughs> does it? It's kind of like going to Scott's house. <laughs> well, you, all right, there you go. So now, now it's just a matter of like how long is it going to take for everyone to start giving you crap for having beers get quote lost end quote. It's not my thing that they get right, lost. Right, I'm sure it isn't. That, that was my thing too. I don't have any, there's no beer in my fridge <laughs> ever. Convenient excuse. Yeah, there's beer can't live in Jay's fridge. It doesn't last the hour. Well, that's part partly true, but it's also like you know I live pretty close to the brewery, so that's where around the corner I have stuff. Yeah, there you go. If you're interested, really, in, in sending in beer, hanging out, you're making a visit, anything of the sort, uh, just send me an email, scottatthebrewingnetwork.com, and uh, we'll make arrangements to uh, to get beer and hang out and uh, do the visit thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really good happy at, for it. Uh, and I'm really good at ceasing Jay on stuff, just so you guys know. I almost always do. I love it. Because then because then if I drink it on my own, I can be like, well, what? I, I You knew about it. Yeah, what's, yeah, what's the problem? <laughs> I go to Scott's house, too, so. Exactly. That's good stuff. You, you guys would, you, you, you'd be happy to know how much of whatever you send that doesn't get enjoyed here on the show does mm-hmm. get enjoyed by Jay and I off the air. Almost basically all of it. Mm-hmm. And, and some staff, you know. Brewing Network Studios staff, Rare Barrel staff yeah. at and all. We, and we appreciate it. We do a uh, lot. Break time. Yes. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. from Rodeba. You listen to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Backroom deals are being made. Hands are being shaken. <laughs> Heads are being shaken. Babies are shaken. Hands are being kissed. <laughs> it's typical. We're back on the Sour Hour. Great day today. Always a great day when we can not only drink Allagash beer, but hang out with people from Allagash. Really, you know, no no smoke blown. Just uh, one of my favorite breweries out there for for multiple reasons. So appreciate you guys. Incredible beers. Uh, let's see, what else are we doing? Let's do. You know, we never got to. <laughs> oh, this is what we're doing. Yeah, we never got to this on the on the show yet. Um, believe me, we've gotten to it and then some in many different other contexts. But on the show, we didn't discuss HR nightmare. It's a, let me let me say my deal first. Just if you don't mind, because there's only this is, it's another thing where I can only say certain things. I would imagine this is a beer that uh, the Rare Barrel made, yeah. and we made it with the help of many Brewing Network staff mm-hmm. and associated businesses staffs, and um, we're selling it. Mm. And it's air quotes our beer. <laughs> 
And now, Scott, you can say literally whatever you want. Sure. Uh, this was, uh, I, let's see, literally no brewing No, that's not true. Uh, Justin, myself, and uh, the Hop Grenade OGs, that's Kevin and Eric and Aaron and Andrew and Jason, went down to the Rare Barrel. This has got to be a year ago now. Last summer, late late last summer, or, really? or maybe like the fall. Yeah, it's been a year. Yep, it, wow. it had to have been like last September. And we uh, did some. Well, we did some arm wrestling. Uh, we did a lot of cursing. Give, give Aaron his beer. Oh, oh, I pour, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, a, what a dick! I got so lost in my uh, description that I poured his beer and then left his glass sitting in front of me. <laughs> Two for me, none for you. We did some blending. You know, and blending when you're, well, I'm sure anywhere, but. My my experience as a non-brewer, we went there, we sat in front of a table full of plastic cups and beakers and uh, and, and pencil, golf pencils and sheets of paper, and just did a lot of blending into different beakers and tasting notes, and this works, this doesn't, I don't really know. And eventually, after we'd uh, you know, dr- drank lots of different whatevers and eaten some pizza and had a grand all the time, we decided on a final, this is it, this is the blend, this mm-hmm. is the one. And then you guys did what after that? Uh, we did that blend and uh, bottled it, and it is now for sale through the Rare Barrel. And, uh, and at the Hop Grenade, I can say that. What? Yeah, Jay yep. had his earmuffs on. He didn't know. <laughs> Where just, are we? I didn't catch it. I didn't, I didn't quite get there was some static. There's, I thought there was a bird in here. It was cool. You know it's the, the, you, you know how the show goes? There's always static in your headphones mm-hmm. at yeah, key cer- times. At certain times, uh-huh. yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's the beer we have now. And what is the beer, Scott? It's called HR Nightmare, which was uh, we we had the you know the email thread, the the staff email thread where we were noodling around some names, and this <laughs> this ended up being the winner. It's got the sort of like horror movie poster font, you know, HR Nightmare. And you know, I mean, you 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 can all do the math on why this beer, the lead up to its creation, might have been an HR nightmare. So it's a, it ended up being so it's a golden sour. Um, it's oak barrel aged, of course, with blackberries. It came out seven point uh, seven point three ABV at the end, and it just is a wonderful beer. It's it's real. It's on the more acidic end for some of your current offerings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have a high tolerance. Um, it's like medium to me. Hmm. If you want to convince me it's medium plus, sure. But well, you know, maybe my maybe my um, perception is a bit tainted, if you'll pardon the pun, because when we were, you know, I was there a couple nights ago for industry night uh, yeah. at the Red Barrel, and uh, several of the uh, offerings on tap were vintages. We're, we're from 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm maybe I have a not not a not a very good perception of what you know mid twenty nineteen rare barrel beers are tasting like. Where, where is your like overall acidity level at? Is it, is it where low. you want it? It's low now. Yeah, it's low. It's quite low. Um, hmm, too low. In some cases, I'm like, wow, you know, should this be a little more sour to be like a sour beer? But whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, whoa. Um, no, but then we had, um, I was given a tour uh, last weekend, and, you know, we went and tasted a barrel that I think started as like a, it's essentially like a Brett Saison. And then we added passion fruit to it and put like the smallest amount of mixed culture that we possibly could in there. And between the sugar and the acid of the passion fruit, it's like pretty firmly sour. So it's like, it does depend on what fruit you're adding. You can start at like a clean beer, you know, just take Allagash White or something and add passion fruit. It's going to taste more sour than our typical sour beer, essentially. But, you know, fruit beer, fruited sour beers, it's what people want. It's what we like to do. Getting as much fresh fruit as we can and experimenting with that is fun. Um, this was a fun one because I believe you guys took one of our best barrels. And we blended in just some good base golden sours of different fermentation origins. And it was fun to walk through all these with you guys and everyone's, you know, giving their thoughts. And, you know, I'm not like telling you guys where to go, but I'm like suggesting, would you like to try this or that or these blends? And essentially at the end of it, I was like, this is the exact beer that I would have picked. Is that right? Oh, wow. That's cool. That worked out. You, you steered us right in. The I really, I really try not to, but, but somehow that's what happened. It's, you know, uh, there, there's like, a 
I forget if I was reading or listening to something where it's like, there's all these funny, um, you know, just famous sayings that completely contradict each other. So it's like, uh, this one would be like the wisdom of crowds. And then there's like an exact opposite saying out there where it's like something like, uh, you know, if everyone jumped off the bridge, would you too or something? You know, there's always like whatever everybody's doing it, whatever wisdom saying there is, there's like the exact, of course. An- there's the antonym out there. There you go. <laughs> so I, I now are are some of the the current offerings? Are you offering them um, for sale as like blended whatever? Like some of the stuff that's not as acidic as you want it to be? Is it just a blend without fruit? Are they even? Yeah, we have a. I don't know if you had Stone Age Love. You have it on tap uh, here at the headquarters. Oh, I, we do. We okay. <laughs> yeah. On the I didn't think that was very right sour, even though there's like you know a shit ton of cherries in there. So, so that's how I was wondering. Is I was wondering if it's. Because some of like the non-fruited beers those are not will, the sours. Those will, if we know they're not going to be fruited, then we'll make them actually a little more sour mm. because they don't start that way. So essentially it's like start with Saccharomyces and then primary fermentation. Add Brett in the you know barrel de- young barrel development phase. Add fruit with a bacteria mixed culture. And that's when acid comes. And then... Hopefully, if there's no off flavors from that package before things get out of control, at the end of all of it, it's, it's 9 to 12 months. But in the past, we did things a little differently where the acidity might have been added too early. So that's one of our concerns. Well, I, I love how this beer came out. So uh, yeah, I, think, I think we did a terrific job, like you know, with your, with your guidance slash insistence. You guys killed it. Yeah. <laughs> As a non-biased opinion, I also think it's fantastic. It's very good, isn't yeah. it? I'm very much enjoying it. And it's, I mean, not that we have a super easy hill to climb, having just had four terrific Allagash beers back yeah. to back to back to back. Uh, now we're trying this, and it's still good, which must mean it's pretty good. I'm happy with that. Yeah. 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 Great. Cool. Okay, cool. Awesome. Are we done? We did it. Yeah, we're cool. done. Yeah, we're we did it. <laughs> This is a good beer. I like it. Thank you. There's your 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> we agreed on 40. Big thanks to Algash Brewing Company, Aaron and Jason especially. Thanks, dude. Thanks to you, Scott, for being here. You're welcome. Thanks to the listeners. Thanks to the sponsors. Until next time, stay sour. David, here it is. My philosophy is basically this, and this is something that I live by, and I always have, and I always will. Don't ever, for any reason, do anything to anyone, for any reason, ever, no matter what, no matter where, or who, or who you are with, or or where you are going, or or where you've been, ever, for any reason whatsoever. Sometimes I'll start a sentence, and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way, like an improv conversation. Improvisation.